um, really glad that he's here. I know he'll be a blessing to us. Shall I pray just before he speaks? Lord, we thank you uh, for your word that um, speaks truth to our hearts, reveals who you are, and awakens us to our situation and the glorious gospel that you've brought to us, the news that Jesus is our salvation. And uh, just pray this morning that as Marcus speaks, you would speak into our hearts, uh, do a transformational work in them, and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Well, let's, uh, if you've got a Bible, open your Bible, and I'll just try and make sure I can see something. We're in, I, I was, we are going to be in 1 Thessalonians, but I just felt prompted last, uh, yesterday just to go into 2 Thessalonians instead, so I trust this will be helpful for you. We could open anywhere, couldn't we? And God would bless us, but uh, I trust he's got something for us here. I'm sure you know a little bit of background of the letter. Um, the Apostle Paul planted a church in... Uh, uh, Thessalonica. I never know how to say Thessalonica. It's just a <laughs> Thess- Thessalonica. Thessalonica. I don't know. You can say it however you, however you like. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna say it once. That'll do. No, then we'll we'll move on. Um, anyway, he planted a church there in this kind of city and uh, had to move on. And then heard that they were experiencing difficulty, affliction, um, maybe some strange teachings and so on in there. And so he writes to them to encourage them and to affirm them that they would stand firm in the faith. And we're going to read just a short excerpt from that letter. Uh, um, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 3, 5. Sometimes you need to kind of do a bit of contextualization, recontextualization, don't you, and kind of uh, get in the mindset of where they were then and kind of think how it applies now. And that's always important when reading the Bible. But sometimes you can get a lot. You know, maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe you know nothing about the context and so on. And Always great to kind of dig into that, but I think just let, let some of these, these words and these, uh, these encouragements come to us. They can fall on us and the Spirit can kind of uh, make them effective in our lives. Um, so let, let's, let's read it, and I'm going to focus in on one particular verse, but I want us to, just to enjoy the goodness in all of this, first of all. So Paul writes to them, this church beginning to experience all kinds of affliction and difficulty. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, they would have heard that as well. Beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. And we're kind of here, maybe slightly later fruits, but whether many of us, the fruit of the, the gospel, the same gospel that came to them. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years later, here it is. It's, it's bearing fruit, bearing fruit in my life, and uh, I'm sure many of yours as well. So uh, slightly later fruit, but nevertheless, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's true that God chose you, he goes on. He chose you to be saved. We're going to be coming back to some of these words. He chose you to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through the gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And praise God, we have, the, we have a letter. We have the letters. We have some of the things that he was writing to them. They can do us good as well. We can hold to them. It goes on in uh, verse 16. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us 
And obviously we can't pray for Paul now, but we can pray for one another. We've been praying for, for the church this morning in the Ukraine. Our hearts go out to them. We're praying, and that's, God hears that, and he responds to that. Here, Paul's asking for prayers, and we need one another's prayers. God's made it so that his purposes and his gospel goes out as we pray for one another. And we're praying for you guys in Norwich, and we, we cover your prayers for us too. So what do we pray for? What do we pray for the, for the Ukraine? Uh, what do we pray for one another and the nations of the world right now? Pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honoured, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that what you are doing and will, that, that what you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord Direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And uh, it was a great passage. And so many words in there that we could pick up and spend time on. Beloved, chosen, called, believed, glory. And we'll, we will come back and pick up some of those and enjoy them as we go through. But our focus is going to be this verse 5, which just stood out to me and which I love. Verse 5 says this. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. What amazing prayer, what amazing desire that Paul has for them. We look at that in three sections. It kind of seems to break down into three sections very nicely. And the first is about, may the Lord direct your hearts. And this, this tells me a few things. It tells me that, well, let's first of all think about what the heart is before we kind of jump ahead. Maybe you're kind of wondering what the heart is. Maybe you've kind of seen those kind of Valentine's cards and you've kind of got that in your mind. And kind of, there's something in that, in that. But the heart is the seat and the center of the will. It's what drives you and causes you to make decisions. Sometimes we think it's all about kind of intellect and, and, and rationality and so on, and that's, that's part of it. But there's something deep in us which is set in a direction. This is the direction I'm going to go. It's where we make decisions. It's the dwelling place of our deepest desires. Sometimes we don't even know what they are, but it's there, deep within us, bubbling up in the actions and the decisions that we take. It sets our direction through life or at least what we're aiming at. It's like a compass that kind of we're following, whether we know it or not. Our heart sets our direction. And I don't think I was talking about this, but I must have been using a, a compass in an illustration for something a while back. And you've got to be careful what illustrations you use. And I think I might have said, I haven't got a compass. And so someone came up and they gave me a compass so I can, uh, I can talk to you with a compass in my hand, which is uh, kind of makes it so, look, where is north? Who knows where North is? Some people know. How do you know that sort of thing? Some people just know, don't they? I've got no idea. My sense direction is awful, but just right, that, that direction is north. Yeah, amazing. I mean, the compass helps me. I, mean, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, you probably wouldn't know had you not seen one of these things before or looked on some kind of map and worked it out. We need some, something. We're not like pigeons. I don't even know pigeons would... We don't, of course they wouldn't know it's north, but they would have some idea of direction anyway. They've probably got a different kind of name for it. Um, whatever. 
This, this is our hearts, the seat in the centre of our will. You've, I mean, you've got, I don't know, if you, we were talking about movies earlier. You probably haven't watched Iron Man, but uh, we went, yeah, we went through all of that. We went through the Marvel series. We started at like, the Iron Man. He's got, I mean, it's just kind of a powerhouse here, hasn't he? That kind of drive, drives him. But it's like we've all got this compass kind of stuck there, and it's just setting our direction in life, where we want to go, where we, with our deepest desires. Remember the Cub Scouts? Actually, we had the square ones because they're the ones you kind of you hold there. You, I mean, the little kind of square things like that with a, around your neck, and you kind of hold them close, and you move like that, you kind of adjust them to where you want to go, and so many steps here, and so many steps there, and then all that, and you, you find whatever you're getting to, the treasure or whatever, whatever it might be. Well, this is, this is what we have. It, t- it shows us where we're heading, and I wonder what, what direction is your compass facing? If we think about it, maybe you've not thought about it before. What is, the, what is the one direction your life is set in that you have determined to go? Whether you know it or not, now you kind of think about it. Where, where are you going? What sets your course? What determines the decisions that you make? What, where's your heart pointed? This prayer, and then we look at three things. Now we kind of just kind of reminded ourselves about what this heart is all about. And it's very, it's linked to love, isn't it? It's we, we move in the direction of that which we, we love, which we value, which we desire. But three things this kind of encourages me. First, it tells me at this kind of prayer, may the Lord direct your heart, is that the Lord is interested in your heart. He's interested in your heart. He's not first and foremost and fundamentally interested in what you do. I mean, you, he really wants your, your, your heart, first and foremost. He wants what you do to come out of the direction of your heart. It's, he's not satisfied with us doing the right thing. That's, that's not what's important to him, ultimately, fundamentally. It's our hearts. And of course, if our hearts are in the right direction, our, everything else will follow. But this tells me that God is interested in the heart. We've heard a bit about weddings and wedding bells already this morning. But just uh, thinking about, here's a passage you may have heard at a wedding. If I give all I possess to the poor... And give over my body to hardship that I may boast. But I do not have love, I gain nothing. That's God's perspective. Just, yes, God can work through bad attitudes and do good things. But the point of this passage is that's not what God is interested in. If you're thinking, if only if I do this and this and this and this and this, then that's what God's after. It's not what he's after. He's after something far more important, far more deeper, far more valuable to him. And that's your heart, the direction of your heart. That's what he wants. It's what he prizes. The attitude behind the action. The attitude behind the action. Do you know, when, when I became a Christian, the most extraordinary thing happens, and maybe someone will be able to relate to this, suddenly something changed in here. And my desires began to change. It was a bizarre thing to experience. Your desires changing. This kind of compass moving around internally. It's like, whoa, what is going on? Well, the second thing that this tells me is that our hearts can be misdirected. But wouldn't be saying it if it wasn't for the fact that our hearts could be badly calibrated and pointing in the wrong direction. We have a broken compass. It's possible for these things if they come near magnets. If you put a massive magnet near this, it would, it, it would change the polarity of this little magnet in here and it would start to point the other way if I kind of brought a magnet here it would just kind of oh it, it, I'm going to it doesn't suck all the, uh, the iron in here there's a much better way of explaining it but it eludes me right now but it changes the polarity of this 
compass such that it will, it will face 180 degrees the wrong way. That's not good if, if, if your heart is pointing 180 degrees the wrong way. Just thinking about weddings again. As a small boy, um, I, I had so many... St- I mean, you know, I, when you think of illustrations, I have so many illustrations of going the wrong way. It's just, it's, it's, all, it's just like overwhelming. But as we're talking about weddings, um, I remember as a small boy going to a wedding and we, we, my, with my brother and we behaved ourselves through the service. And then it got to the reception and it just, it got, we got bored. And so with, with pockets and tummies full of cake, we set out on an adventure because the reception was right in the middle of this big forest. So we kind of just slipped out and we left and we... It was a nice sunny day, rather like today, and so we're just kind of walking through the forest and enjoying ourselves and playing in the mud, that kind of stuff. And then it started to kind of pour with rain. So we thought, well, it's time to go back. So we, we did what we thought was 180 degrees. We kind of trusted our internal compass and we began to walk back. And after a while, you know when you, when you kind of double back on yourself, you think, we surely have been going longer in this, di- this direction than we set out. Something must be wrong. And we kept coming to these uh, forks in the road, and we kept kind of thinking, well, it's that way, I think. And, the, of course, the longer we kept going, the more we thought, they're going to be missing us. This is, this is trouble. So we picked up our speed, and we began to run through the rain and through the, the, the undergrowth and through the trees to try and get back to where we were supposed to be. But we were going in 180 degrees the wrong way. We were the fast as we could go. We were getting further and further away from the wedding where we were supposed to be. And then eventually we kind of broke out of the, of the forest and ended up at this farmhouse. And there was a lovely farmer there who asked the obvious question, where are you supposed to be? Where is it? And we had no idea. We, we were just, you know, when you're young, you're just driven somewhere and you kind of stay there until you wander off. And eventually, I think we managed to piece together the, the surname of the people getting married or something. And we, kind of, we, we arrived there actually too late. And the bride and groom had gone off. And uh, to this day, I'm very grateful for my parents' kind of uh, calmness about the whole thing. And they were very gracious <laughs> to us. Uh, but we were going the wrong way. You see the disaster that happens if you're heading the wrong way. You can go as fast as you like. You're getting further and further away from your destination. Then if you kind of, I should talk about sat-navs, really, shouldn't I? That's probably more up-to-date and modern. But um, if you ever kind of followed your sat-nav and you get close to the destination and there's more and more things that are just not fitting in, this is not... This, it, it, suddenly, any minute now I'm going to get there, it's, it's, getting, it's not going to happen. It all, looks, it all looks wrong. It's like, this is, this is, this is not, not going to work. Um, we, we need to be facing in the right direction. We need to be calibrated. I don't know if you come to a... My internal compass isn't that good in terms of directions. I come to a road, and I know I'm going to get it wrong. So I think that way, therefore it must be that way. It's still wrong. How can it possibly still be wrong? It's really important that we're going in the right direction. And, but the, 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 the issue here is that our internal compass that determines our direction in life, what we should be heading towards, what we should be living for, that should determine all our decisions. This tells me that can be wrong. You might be sitting here and yours might be 180 degrees wrong because our heart is supposed to direct us to God, our Creator, who made us for relationship with Him. And the tragedy is that by default, our hearts are set in the opposite direction, away from him. And sometimes we're running as fast as we can, but it's in the opposite direction. 
This tells me that the Lord is interested in my heart. It tells me that, that my heart can be directed in the wrong way. But wonderfully, it tells me that the Lord can redirect my heart. And that's good news. May the Lord direct your heart. And it's just worth pausing on the enormity of that. That he can, nobody else can, he can redirect our heart. The the Lord directs the will of kings like water through a water course. It's, It's like nothing that we do or can imagine. This is the power of God to direct the very depths of our heart, the direction of our heart, to our affections. He can work in our heart in such a way. And so our next question is, is how does he turn our hearts and to what does he turn our hearts? And so moving on to my second kind of point here. So may the Lord direct your heart, but to, to what and how? And the next phrase is, to the love of God. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God. It means, it means all sorts of things, this wonderful expression. It's, it's just re- deep and rich, and we could spend hours on it. But it means, first and foremost and fundamentally, God's love for us. He loves you. May the Lord direct your heart to know how much God loves you. As we're facing our hearts, facing the opposite direction, it's because we don't know. It's because people don't know how much God loves them. And so they run after other things and false loves. Things that don't love them as much as the Lord loves them. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God. Paul says in verse 13, beloved by God. That's a wonderful name, term, beloved. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're beloved by God. He loves you. It's your identity. Someone who's loved by God. Of course, God loves the world. If you're running away from Jesus, if you're kind of going through the undergrowth and the direction of your life is set in a different direction, you still need to know that God loves you. And he wants to direct your heart that you would know how much he loves you. But wonderfully, as a, as a Christian, we can live our life in the knowledge of our identity as those beloved by God. It's who you are. People would put all kinds of labels on you and kind of uh, tell you your identity is this, that, and the other. But here's your identity. You're beloved. That is who you are. Beloved by God. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God. Of course, Jesus reveals God to us as Father. Paul writes in verse 16, God, our Father, who loved us. He wants them to know God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's recalibrating this internal compass. God loves you. Turn your heart that you would know this. Jesus reveals the Father. It's fatherly love. And some of, some of us may have had uh, good fathers that have helped us with this to understand what, it, what fatherly love is. Others, others not. But wonderfully, by the Spirit of God, we can know the revelation of Jesus and by the Spirit of God, we can know what God's fatherly love is like. We can experience it, not just you know, abstractly, but we can experience it as the Spirit cries with our spirit, Abba, Father. We can know it. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God by the Spirit that you would know how much God loves you and in what way, as a Father. He is a Father to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, a believer, you can have a relationship with God as your Father. What do fathers do? They provide they're protecting of us, establishing, they're guarding, directing, empowering, imparting, encouraging, comforting, correcting, strengthening, affirming, affectionate towards us, delighting over us. That's what our Father's like. Our source, our security, the one who sends us out, the sons and daughters, equips us, empowers us. It's where, me- it's where meaning and purpose comes from. Knowing 
that I'm beloved, knowing that you're beloved, and having a meaning and purpose in God's plans and purposes, the one who created everything for his glory. This is how our Heavenly Father loves us, and we can know that and enjoy that at any time. Uh, we could pick up some of these other words as well. Um, I've just got a little bit of time. Verse 13 goes on, you are chosen. God chose them. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he chose you too. And uh, this put me in mind of those, I, don't, I hope they don't do them anymore. Maybe some will remember when at school they pick teams. Were you ever in those situations where you'll kind of gather over there and uh, the two really good sporty ones, you can come up the front and choose your team. And of course you choose the best. Who's good and who's bad? Who's rubbish and who's really good? And uh, I remember it was me and another guy. Um, I, I know him to this day and a lovely fellow, but for the life of us, we couldn't kick a ball. <laughs> it's still, I still find it bizarre. I, I have interest in lots of odd things, but I don't have interest in a ball moving around. I just don't, don't know why that is. Some, maybe it's a gene. So we were just last. We were last. Every time, last, sitting there. We'd, everybody else had been picked. And uh, so we're just looking at each other. And it was always a lottery, really, which one would get picked last. But the, we, they, the teams were lumbered with us. They didn't choose us. We, we had to go because we've got to go somewhere. Well, the Lord chose you. you something you discover when you become a Christian. You go, I, I thought I, I chose God. No, he chose you. And he, he, he would have picked you first. He, would, he, didn't, he wasn't lumbered with you. As if, kind of, oh, I've got to take you. I've got to take some. Oh, you might as well come in as well. I've got to have a certain quota of people. He chose you. He delighted to chose you, not because of your past, but because of his plans for you. He had good plans for you, that's why he chose you. Not, not because of how good or bad you are, or were, but just because he loved you. So why? He just does. He loves you. So he chose you. You, you. You, come, come on. And, we, and we're like, what, me? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And for, I don't know, about 20 years of my life, God was doing that. He's calling to me, just like, like I was in that, uh, that lineup. You, I want you, I want you. Come, come, be with me. I've got plans for you. I love you, I care about you. Couldn't hear it, couldn't hear it. And then one day, wonderfully, heard the gospel call. And uh, my, my internal compass whoosh, flipped. Because the call... The call of the gospel kind of flips our compass. The call of how much God loves us. And uh, I want to... I'm going to move on to this this next one, just uh, for the sake of time. But um, just to... God purposely chooses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. Not only does he choose independence of ability, but sometimes he goes for those ones that would get left till last... He said, you know what, I'm doing something so different. I'm going to purposely choose the ones that would get left till last. Maybe that's been your experience and that's what you've you've known through life, get chosen last. Well, the Lord delights to choose you first because he's doing something else because it's not about us. We've all failed. We've fallen short. We have disqualified ourselves. We've tried to kick the ball and fallen over flat on our faces. That's what we've done morally before God. And he says, I'm going to choose you. Because I've got plans for you because I love you. He chooses the weak things of the world and he directs our heart as this gospel call comes about what Jesus has done for us. 
our hearts are, are moved, are recalibrated wonderfully. Well, let's move on to this final one. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. And here it is. Here's the key. Here's the heart of the gospel to the steadfastness of Christ. The steadfastness of Christ, which could, of course, mean uh, their steadfastness. And that is what Paul's heart is. He wants to strengthen them. They're experiencing difficulty and challenge. But he wants, the, he wants them to stand firm in the face of difficulty. But he directs their heart to the steadfastness of Christ, which first and foremost means Christ's steadfastness for them. That's where their steadfastness will come from. Our love for God, which is also why you direct your hearts to the love of God, where does that come from? It comes from a knowledge of his love for us. Our, our God-like love for other people, as we love other people, it only, it only is the sort of love that God wants it to. As God loves us, as we're filled with God's love, we love others in the way that God loves them. So these things must come first. We love because he first loved us. And their steadfastness is rooted in the steadfastness of Christ. He said, I want you to know the steadfastness of Christ. And you know, we could talk about steadfastness and what that is, but we're seeing it right now in the Ukraine, aren't we? Some, some of those, the, 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 the people out there, they're steadfast. We are not moving. We're going to stay here. Because they, they, they love their people. They love the country. We're not moving. It's the steadfastness that we're seeing unfold before our eyes. It's the capacity to hold or bear up in the face of difficulty. It's patience, endurance, and fortitude, and perseverance. It's stickability. Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm. And of course, Jesus supremely demonstrated this steadfastness on the cross. He's steadfast in what he did for us as he loved us, dying there, paying for our sin. Satan offered him a way out right early on, didn't he, in the, in the desert. Well, if you do X, Y, and Z, um, I'll give you basically what you, what you want, give you the nations, but worship me first. And Jesus was steadfast. No, no. No, he remained steadfast. In the Mount of Olives, he didn't run and hide. He was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He prayed. He remained steadfast. He's going to go through it. He didn't run away. He was then arrested. The temple guards turned up. His disciples kind of go to, to defend him. No, he says, no, that's not the way. This must happen. He remained steadfast. There's all these opportunities to duck out, to escape, to go. He remained steadfast. He was tried, falsely accused. He could have stood up for himself and said, no, 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 not, not true, not true, and produced an amazing defence, I'm sure. But he didn't. He remained silent. And he remained steadfast because this is what he came to do. He came to go to the cross for us, to bear our sin. Pilate didn't want to, didn't want to convict him. He had all kinds of political kind of things going on in his mind. Pilate was looking for an opportunity to let this guy off. Jesus did not let him. He remained steadfast. He said, I can call on 12 legions of angels. It's not, not a problem for me, but I've come to do this. Jesus remained steadfast. As he was whipped, as the skin was kind of torn off him, he remained steadfast. As the nails were driven through his wrist, he remained steadfast. He was crucified, racked with pain. Unimaginable pain, emotional, physical, spiritual. He remained steadfast because he loved you and he loved me. This is how much God loves you. He loves you. He was steadfast in that love. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling that he was going through. He was in agony. And he remained there because he loved you. And in doing that, it recalibrates our heart like nothing, nothing else can do it. Nothing else can change the direction of your heart apart from the love of God revealed in the person of his son in Jesus. As he steadfastly hung on the cross, bearing the sin of the world, your sin, mine, all the grot that I saw as the veneer was peered back, placed on Jesus, he went through it. He steadfastly bore my sin and bore your sin. 
out of just sheer love. We can't go any deeper than that. He just loved you. And he, he went through with it. This is what recalibrates us. This is why Paul directs their hearts. I would redirect your heart to the love of God and the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. He, uh, he encourages them in it. He writes similarly to the, the Hebrews, so chapter 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, and we all have a struggle against sin, there are other draws on our heart that would seek to take us this way and that. He said, this is how you keep your heart calibrated. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. It can be very painful resisting sin. It can be very costly. He says, have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? His prescription for them is to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider Jesus. Maybe right now you're, you're tempted to kind of go off in a different direction, not to follow Jesus. You're tempted to kind of take the easy way out. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe you're, you're serving in some capacity and it's just become costly and hard. Maybe you had high hopes. If I do X, Y, and Z, then everything will kind of go well and things will happen well and I'll see fruit. Maybe you're not seeing the fruit right now, but you know God is still calling you to keep going, to keep going. He's encouraging you here to consider the steadfastness of Christ the love of God for you in Jesus, and keep going. At any moment, we can just stop and consider him, and by the Spirit, let our hearts be filled with the love of God. I so often forget to do that in the busyness, and particularly when life is hard. I Just stop and consider him. Let the Spirit fill us, fill your heart with the knowledge of the love of God for you in Christ, the steadfast love of God for you. And you could just feel your compass being redirected to enjoy the love of God for you. I don't know if we've got, have we got time for a, a song? I don't know if the band want to come back. I'd love to pray for us um, as we do. Is it, would it be okay to stand together? I'd, if you're able, of course, um, able and willing, then do, do stand. And I want to pray this for us. I want to pray this for you. Heavenly Father, we, this wonderful exhortation here, this wonderful prayer of Paul, wonderful desire of Paul's for the, the church that he was writing to. But, but we know, Lord, that you're writing to us too, that we're hearing your voice through this passage. And we just thank you for reminding of, us of these things and speaking into the detail of our life right now. And I, I pray and we pray, Lord, that you would direct our hearts like nobody else can Lord, would you, some maybe even for the first time this morning, that, that, that compass is moving away into a different direction. Maybe for the last 20 years it's been going in one direction. Now you, you feel this, this tug of the love of God calling you through the gospel, calling you through Jesus' death in your place for your sin. His life lived for you, now given to you for free, that through faith, you can be accepted by God and become a son or a daughter of God. Lord, we thank you for the gospel that recalibrates our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that your love would fill us right now. I pray for each and every one of us as we just pause and let our, our compass just settle. Lord, would you direct it where you would want it to go, towards you and towards a knowledge of your love. Lord, we're, we're not just talking about feelings. We're talking about something deeper here, something that's going to recalibrate and set our direction for the rest of our life 
Even when feelings come and go and the pain and difficulty just sails against us and the cost of following you becomes apparent. Lord, would you do something right now that would set the course of our life, that we would live for you and a knowledge of your love. Lord, we know fruit will come. We know life change will come. We know actions will, will change. But you're after the heart. You're interested in the heart. You're not interested in performance mm. or conformance, but that our hearts would be for you. Mm. It's that piper, isn't it? God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. This is your plan for us, Lord, that we would know your love for us, your kindness and your mercy to us in the person of Jesus. And we know that, we, again, talking about weddings, that, Lord, that, that history ends with a wedding. We want to be there. We really want to be there. And we thank you that we know that we can through faith in Jesus. But we don't want to be those running 180 degrees in the opposite direction, away from the wedding, away from you, away from the meaning and the purpose of our life, away from, from your, what would glorify you, Lord. And so we are set our hearts, set our compass right now so that we would run to you. Run to you. Lord, we are, our hearts are burdened for those that are running in the opposite direction right now, thinking they're going in the right direction, but the rain has started to pour. Lord, would you, would you stop people in their tracks? Would their hearts be turned towards you? Lord, even where our hearts wavered at times, God, set us in the right direction, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you, church.